So we're continuing uh, the Lenten practice of Lectio Liberatio, uh, kind of spiritual reading of the text. And as we've done the last few weeks, uh, we'll read through the text four times. Each time we'll have a different prompt that we want to invite you to engage. We'll do the first three, have conversation, and then do the last one. And uh, before you bring up the text, actually, uh, yeah, leave it here for a second. Um, our our text that we're going to do <laughs> lectio uh, liberatio with was it's it's a text where I was like oh yeah we'll do that and then uh and then I read it actually I was like oh <laughs> um this is one of the more problematic of the Old Testament texts for me uh we're we're gonna. Um, just have a few verses, um, 10 verses from the end of the Jacob and Laban narrative. Uh, for, for context, let me try to give you a very quick cliff notes of what happens up to this point. Uh, Jacob is the first nephew of Laban. It's his uncle Laban. Jacob seeing uh, Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel, his first cousin, falls in love. Uh, he agrees, comes to a, um, a little arrangement. He'll work for Laban for seven years and then be able to marry Rachel. On the wedding night, <clears throat> because it's not customary to give your second daughter when you haven't given your first daughter, uh, Laban sends Leah into the tent. Jacob doesn't realize this until the next morning. I'm presuming because he was drunk. Um, and he's like, whoa, hey, you tricked me. Laban's like, well, sorry. It's not customary to give your second when you haven't given your first. So then they come to a second arrangement that Laban will also give Rachel to Jacob if he works for Laban an additional seven years. So they do that. He receives Rachel. Works for Laban for uh, 10 years. I'm going to get some of the details, but it's pretty messed up. Uh, in the midst of that, uh, because Jacob loves Rachel, God gives Leah preference, and so she's able to have kids. Um, Rachel can't, so Rachel gives one of her maids to uh, to Jacob to have children, and then there's another maid in there that he also has a child with. Uh, and then at the end of the 10 years, Jacob's like, hey, I'm I'm done doing this to his uncle Laban. His uncle says, well, what do you need? They come up with a deal that has to do with speckled goats and other goats. Uh, it works out for, for Jacob that his, his goats and sheep are healthier. And so Laban doesn't like Jacob anymore. There's conflict. And then Jacob... Uh, takes his wives and his children and his grandchildren, and they decide to leave, uh, which irritates Laban. And then, so Laban then tracks Jacob down after three days. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> A reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 31. Verses 25 through 27 and 43 through 50. Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched... Oh, wait, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, Ryan, let's go. This is the first question we're going to be wrestling with uh, as I read it. So this is the belong. Uh, what is the conflict and or change in the text? Spoiler, there's plenty. You're not going to be short on conflict and change. Uh, who, what in the text connects the story of your family community of origin? This will be interesting. So this is, this is the question that we're going to sort of sit with. Um, I'll read through the text now and then the question will come back up as we sit in a few minutes of silence. Okay. Any questions about the process or anything like that? No, we can't. Sorry. I have to get a Kleenex. It is chilly in here, isn't it?
Sorry, 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 everybody. Right, that was that was me blowing my nose. Do we have folks online today? Great. Good. Okay. My apologies, Tommy. Uh, so first reading, belong. Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban, with his kinsfolk, camped in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You have robbed my heart and herded off my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you sneak to run away and rob me and not tell me? I would have sent you away with celebration and singing with drumming and strumming. Then Laban said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. These flocks are my flocks and all that you see, it is mine. Now, what can I do today about these, my daughters, or about their children, whom they have birthed? Now, come, let us make a covenant, I and you, and let it be a witness between me and you. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his kin, gather stones. And they took stones and made a gall, a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahudatha, but Jacob called it Gal-Ed, heap of witness. Laban said, this heap is a witness between me and you today. Therefore, he called it Gal-Ed and the pillar Mitzvah, watchtower. For he said, the Holy One, watch between me and you when we are out of sight of the other if you treat my daughters violently, or if you take women in addition to my daughters, though no one else is with us, see that God is witness between me and you. A few moments of silence as we reflect on belong. And now as we read through it a second time, uh, the next prompt is be bold. Uh, what policies or cultural norms is the text resisting or calling us to resist? Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsfolk camped in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You have robbed my heart and herded off my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you sneak to run away and rob me and not tell me? I would have sent you away with celebration and singing with drumming and strumming. Then Laban said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. These flocks or my flocks, and all that you see, it is mine. Now what can I do today about these daughters, or about their children, whom they have birthed? Now come, 
Let us make a covenant, I and you, and let it be a witness between me and you. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his kin, gather stones. And they took stones and made a gall, a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahudatha, but Jacob called it Gal-Ed, heap of witness. Laban said, this heap is a witness between me and you today. Therefore, he called it Gal-Ed and the pillar Mitzvah, watchtower, for he said, the Holy One watched between me and you when we are out of sight of the other. If you treat my daughters violently, or if you take women in addition to my daughters, Though no one else is with us, see that God is witness between me and you. Be bold. What policies and cultural norms is the text resisting or calling us to resist? As we read through a third time, next prompt is become. What vision of healing and liberation does the text call forth? Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsfolk camped in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've robbed my heart and herded off my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you sneak to run away and rob me and not tell me? I would have sent you away with celebration and singing, with drumming and strumming. And Laban said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. These flocks are my flocks. And all that you see, it is mine. Now, what can I do today about these, my daughters, or about their children, whom they have birthed? Now, come, let us make a covenant, I and you, and let it be a witness between me and you. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his kin, gather stones. And they took stones and made a gall, a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahudatha. But Jacob called it Gal-Ed, heap of witness. Laban said, this heap is a witness between me and you today. Therefore, he called it Gal-Ed and the pillar mitzvah, watchtower. For he said, the Holy One, watch between me and you. When we are out of sight of the other, if you treat my daughters violently, or if you take a woman in addition to my daughters, though no one else is with us, see that God is a witness between me and you. 
What vision of healing and liberation does the text call forth? Okay, curious in our Lectio Liberatio, uh, what came up for you? Um, it may be if you want to share uh, one of the things that came up in the three, or maybe there was a thread, um, maybe completely unrelated, but it's something you thought of. Uh, what did, what do we hear? I guess for me, there's, there's several things that just keeps, and this story just keeps giving and giving, doesn't it? Um, you know, I've always thought it funny about the Mizpah, uh, and everyone has a Mizpah coin, you know, it says you, you do realize that this is a coin that says, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you and may God deal with you. Right. You know, if you mess with my kinfolk, uh, but the conflict here, there's a couple of things that really jumps out at me in the conflict, and part of it is in what was not read in that text, which was the gods that were stolen yeah. by Rachel, um, which from what I understand is more of a not just gods, but it's actually bills of sale for land. You mm-hmm. know, that, at least that's what I've, I've seen in the background before. So it, it almost seems like there's a hidden agenda. Uh, through all this concern about family. Mm. And that's what huh. gets me is, is that you got the, the conflict is you have two people who have done their dead level best to outfox each other. Laban has out Jacob, Jacob, and Jacob is out Laban, Laban yeah. in all of this. Uh, so there is throwing all that together. The huge conflict is use a family for a hidden agenda. And that has been, and immediately I started thinking of politicians immediately, you know, how we use our family to promote us. And so that's, that's the big Mm. conflict, the use of family for a hidden agenda. Mm. Thanks, Sarah. I've been paying attention a little bit more these days at how dysfunctional all these different families and stories in the Bible are, you know, and like this family is a disaster, you know, there's just, they're lying and cheating each other. And like, clearly there's enough dysfunction that Jacob's Kids are going to hate their youngest brother so much that they just want him dead. You know, like what nasty, ugly stuff is going on in this family, Mm. you know, that they're 
you know, way beyond treating each other poorly, mm-hmm. you know. Laban doesn't seem like too great of a guy. But he's the one talking mainly in this whole thing. And he's like, you better not hurt them. You know, like, just a a disaster. It's a disaster. Yeah. The part when it talks about what policies and cultural norms is a text resisting. Like, it's interesting to me, this covenant that they make. And he says, you, you don't take anyone else, which is, uh, a, res- a resistance of the cultural norm, I think, in that age yeah. of like, you know, he has these wives, they've given him his kids. Well, maybe I'll get another one. And so, so that like, you know, and, and it's not just us making that call, but, God's watching. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you don't get away from, just because you get away from me, you don't get away from this covenant. So yeah. that's interesting. It, it, yeah, it's both a resistance to the cultural norms, but also the family pattern. As both Rachel and Leah give different people to Jacob when they're having a hard time having kids. Um, it, uh, it's part of the... Uh, it's such a crazy, toxic, dysfunctional. There's a little bit of an inaccessibility that I feel like it's so messed up. But Daryl, to your point, this, this weaponization of family, uh, to get at, um, interests, underlying unspoken interests or agendas. Uh, you know, I think of all the ways that the family metaphor is really problematic. Uh, uh, in, in church communities, right? Cause the, the narrative is you don't leave family. You don't, which sometimes family needs to be left. Um, and thinking of the ways in which perhaps we experience trauma or harm in our nuclear family. And so to the Jesus text beforehand, um, we, we don't have the kind of angst of staying connected to a nuclear family because we have a community of, of brothers and sisters that God's graciously gifted us that sort of fill that space. So um, I, I, I continue to be struck uh, both in reading through the whole narrative a couple times this morning and then hearing this um, and a few things. The Laban here, uh, I didn't notice it earlier, but I did in, in today in this morning's reading together. Uh, Laban's, you know, why didn't you tell me? Why did you just disappear? I would have set you off with strumming and drumming and a party when he's been terrible to Jacob. Like there's no, there's no evidence that he would have celebrated. All he's done when Jacob's wanted to leave is to say, um, uh, no, 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 let's figure out something else that I can, um, uh, mess you over with. And thinking about sort of violent systems, right, where oppressors abuse victims, and then when victims try to get out, they're gaslighted about the situation. Why, why would you do that? I, I would have let you, um, yeah, Jen, go ahead. I have, yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the gaslighting, you know, like, there's a reason that Jacob did what he did, you know, and Laban's like, I would have just given you a party, you know? And I feel like Jacob's like, Oh yeah. Right. Right. Like, like the whole rest of our life together. Sure. 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 Like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Click the button. Now, I feel like, um, probably because I've been partially distracted by Margot, but I keep like resting on the last question. What vision of healing and liberation does the text call forth? And my first thought is like, I don't know, nothing. Like, it seems really awful. And then I was like hearing 
like Daryl speak and then Jenny just talking about like this family is really messed up. Like there's what I feel like I see in the text is like a lot of abuse, manipulation, pain. And it's like, and speak like a system of violence, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. like uh, the phrase, like hurt people, hurt people. Like there are, like you think about like, you know, Laban basically being like, why did you leave, blah, blah, blah. But he's been so bad to Jacob. But then Jacob has also not been great right? either yeah. to his family. And I think about even like, like growing up, this story was always told, like the story of like Leah and Rachel was always told, well, Leah was really ugly. So we yeah, had to get yeah. her married somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So we just hit her face and then, whoops, sorry, now you're married. And then we, (laughs) then you can really marry the one you want. And like, I feel like there's so much like of like, not even thinking about like, like how Jacob has been to then Leah and to Rachel. And then them being like, oh, now you can have my servants. It's just sort of like every person is preserving whatever power they have over the other, like they're they're the pain that they have received they're just doling out right because it's all they know yeah right and it's like it's all their family has done and if you think about like the generations before them right there's so much messed up shit where you're just like this is and i'm not trying to excuse the behavior i'm not trying to say it's okay because this is all they know but i'm trying to have some compassion for like Oh, you're just doing what you've learned, mm-hmm. sort of. And for me, when I think of what vision of healing and liberation does this text call forth, it's sort of like going back to the New Testament scripture of like, who is your family? Like also like, it, it doesn't have to be this way. Like what you know, what you've seen and what you've done, like, it is not how it has to be. And I don't know if the text is really calling that forth or if that's, I'm trying to like pull something (laughs) out of it. But to me, uh, when I see it, I just see so much like, man, this is a lot of pain. This is a lot of abuse. This is a lot of just like hurt. And they're doing whatever they can to preserve their place in the world, even though it's horrible. And like, actually, what if we didn't have to do that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a great word. Hold on. Microphone. Microphone. (laughs) All I can think about is just coming from a social work background. I'm just sitting here thinking about trauma, the amount of trauma. And I don't know if y'all have heard of the ACEs score, but from the zero to 18 and you're, you're, you know, the, as an adult for every point that it goes up, then some major illness can happen to you as an adult. So I'm thinking about that whole trauma for everyone. And then the attachment styles and y'all probably know about different attachment styles. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out what attachment style would that whole whole thing be? And so I'm just like, wow, I don't don't even have anything to say else about that. Mine's just more around the trauma, the ACE score, the attachment styles for this family. But I do agree with you too uh, about the, let me let me throw in an, another thing is that I, I i think you're right you know where, where you're seeing the answer is somewhere else maybe the answer in the healing and liberation is a contrast to what we're seeing here and it's in the negative mm-hmm. uh in in what we're seeing but i also know the rest of the story which makes it hard to just stay there mm-hmm. because I know Peniel is coming up mm-hmm. where Jacob wrestles with God and he sees the face of God. That's what Peniel means. But then a little part that we don't ever really pick up on is when he finally sees Esau, mm-hmm. who evidently in, in, in the text reads this way, he's actually forgiving his brother. And what does Jacob see? Say, he says, to see you is like seeing Peniel, the face of God. The reconciliation is possible. Mm-hmm. And that's perhaps. Yeah, I appreciate, Val, that you, you know, we're pulling that we don't, you know, we don't have to behave in the ways that we have. And at first, when I was listening to the text, 
and thinking about healing and liberation, I was like, oh, even though like Laban was wounded, you know, he's like, hey, this is our reconciliation, you know, like we can get past this, even though you've hurt me. And, but then I realized, no, I feel like he's just manipulating and like using this (laughs) power, like power play to try and continue to control Jacob, even though Jacob is like removing himself from Laban's immediate power. You, sorry, you clearly don't care about your daughters because like you just, you made this whole trick thing, you know, by, I mean, it's like when Daryl, when you were saying like using your family, to for a different end and i was like that's actually not that it's the word is abuse that's abusing your family that's abusing someone yeah yeah Yeah, i liked what you said about like hurt people hurting people like then that just made me think of like you think about the descendants of all these kids like what a mess that is and into now even like so yeah i i can't get away uh in this long narrative between Jacob and Laban, the covenant that's made deals entirely with the victims in the story, the daughters and children. The, the ones, uh, and, and maybe this is I'm looking for something that isn't there or, or having compassion, but, but there, there's something about the ones who've had zero agency in this entire story who have been used who don't have a single word spoken on their behalf. Uh, the covenant with God deals with the abused. Um, even though they're not a part of the covenant making, which is problematic, that it's still the, the those in power who are saying, this is what we're going to do for you. Um, but I, I, I can't be, I can't help but sort of be struck by in the midst of all this talk, toxicity, and dysfunction and trauma, uh, there's still a word that acknowledges and seeks to protect those who've been hurt the most and who've given no, who've been given no power in the story. And I want to say, okay, that's, that's what God wants for the world. Like that, that little thing in the midst of all the toxicity and dysfunction, um, that's, that's good news. And almost, like it almost feels miraculous that there's even those small snippets in these very patriarchal abusive texts. Um, and that these texts are written down and edited and passed down through all of the powerful men throughout the centuries that they still remain for me as a little bit like that. If, if we want to talk about the Bible being inspired, like that for me is one of the most central places of inspiration in spite of all of the, these words coming through the most powerful, uh, you still have these small windows, these glimpses of uh, the powerless being advocated for. Um, and that, that, that gives me a little bit of hope. Sorry, it was tangential. Um, before we get to the last one, any thoughts or reflections that you want to button up? Okay. Uh, as we go to this last reading, uh, we're looking for be still. Uh, what is the text calling you to pay attention to in yourself to more fully support this resistance and vision? It's asking the internal question, what is this text uh, inviting um, you into? Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsfolk camped in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've robbed my heart and herded off my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you sneak to run away and rob me and not tell me? I would have sent you away with celebration and singing, with drumming and strumming. Then Laban said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. These flocks are my flocks. And all that you see, it is mine. Now, what can I do today about these, my daughters, about the children whom they have birthed? Now, come, let us make a covenant. 
I and you, and let it be a witness between me and you. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his kin, gather stones. And they took stones and made a gall, a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahudatha, but Jacob called it a gall-ed, heap of witness. Laban said, this heap is a witness between me and you today. Therefore, he called it Gal-Ed and the pillar mitzvah, watchtower. For he said, the Holy One, watch between me and you. When we are out of sight of the other, if you treat my daughters violently, or if you take women in addition to my daughters, though no one else is with us, see that God is a witness between me and you. What is the text calling you to pay attention to in yourself? More fully support this resistance and vision. Let's have a few more minutes of silence. What comes up for you in this fourth reading? Valerie, we get the mic there. Okay. I I don't know if this is lame. <laughs> but I I feel like, uh, especially Ben, what you were saying before we did this last reading, talking about, like, it's interesting that the victims the people that never speak in the text, the ones that are, you know, yes, most abused are, are the ones that are like remembered in sort of like yeah. in the solution. And even though the solution is coming, actually like the powerful people are being like, yeah. Oh, I feel like they're almost using it, you know, like as property as their bargaining thing, but yeah. there's actually this sort of like, Oh, I'm going to take that. And I'm going to actually like, make this into acknowledging like, oh, th- this this was not okay. Like mm-hmm. this was not okay what happened. And to me, I feel like what the text is calling me to pay attention to in myself is noticing, not just noticing when something's like not okay, but also being able to like name that, you know? I feel like w- one healing thing that comes from it is being like, like I'm sort of picturing like uh like if I was having a conversation with Leah and Rachel or the other women and children and being like, it's not okay Mm. that you were just like sold around and Mm. moved around and that you've been given no value that that's not okay. And Mm. that sort of supporting that, you know, pushing against that notion of people being objects or property Mm. um, and noticing and calling it out when that's happening and being like, Hey, that's not cool. Like that's not okay. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks Val. You say cheesy. There's nothing cheesy about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, uh, I'm reminded of, uh, once again, of the importance of context, because I think that you could read that story just like that without knowing the history and not without knowing the stuff in between and been like, look, Laban's just such a good guy. And he's just looking out for his daughters. And so like just listening to those words without like the context like would change it completely. And so, you know, being able to uh, just uh, in life and in Mm -hmm. situations know that there's more to this story, uh, that there's nuance there that to pay attention to. Mm. That's good. Thanks, Sarah. Dural. 
I guess, and it's not so much something that I do, um, but it does remind me to keep that ever in front of me. What really hit me, this final reading, was Laban's words at the end. And Val touched on it. Property. These are my dot. All you see around here are mine. Uh, my animals. They're equated with their animals. Mm-hmm. These are my flocks. These are my daughters. And I almost feel like he could have said, if you mess with one of those goats of mine and hurt that goat, I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I almost see that that's exactly what he's saying, that people are not property. Yeah. And as I look at my children, I have to remind myself, they're not my property. Mm-hmm. Even They're adults, yeah, but even even as children, they were never my property. And that's got to remind me to keep on looking at human beings as human beings. Mm. They don't belong to me, period. Any other thoughts, reflections? Is it on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a very confusing text for sure. <laughs> and I'm just trying to peel back all the layers of the way I was listening to it in childhood and, and through now. And, and I, I just finished listening to Beth Moore's memoir and just the idea of a family dysfunction, like just really deep dysfunction that is surrounded in secrecy and um, supportive networks of secrecy and the gaslight, just the, I mean, intense gaslighting. Um, And I just think, Mm. didn't anyone in this family system think like, this isn't right? Or was it just so deeply embedded in the culture that you just didn't you know, question, this is just how it was. And, um, and I think it's easy for me, you know, as a white cisgendered person to just be like, well, that's just how things are sometimes like Mm -hmm. the messiness and the brokenness is too embedded culturally or systematically to really, um, speak up or get messy with and it sucks, but to the level it affects me is maybe not dire enough to really speak up or say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think even, <laughs> even that I'm naming it this, no, I'm naming it this, like just these um, really, I think just petty defensive lines. Sometimes I draw even, you know, unspoken within whether it's something I'm doing at work or home or like, you know, I don't, I mean, where humans are just such petty creatures um, who aren't willing to be like, you know what, I, this is not right. And, and maybe to them, it was just, you know, land deeds or numbers of cattle or something, but they were like real women that they were like, no, you're going to go, you know, create humans with him and rate, you know, have a child. You're probably going to be left on your own with after that. And I don't know. It's just, I'm always, I just always sit with a certain level of discomfort when I read through texts like this of like, what was the value of a human life at this point? Mm. And like what healing and liberation needed to be for those systems and, mm. and where they still exist within mm. my sphere. Mm. That's really-
I just want to second what Julie said about the, just thinking about like the, the term gaslighting in this, mm. this is like, just kind of keeps reverberating in my head of like, um, you know, it's been around, <laughs> it's been around since before there were gaslights. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but, uh, um, how, and the importance in a community, in a culture to, to call out truth in those spaces yeah. and, and, and to, to resist lies in those spaces. Yeah. Um, so three, three things for me. Uh, I feel I've mentioned this before. Uh, was it a, a lunch with, a, a well-known, preaching homiletics professor, Cleo LaRue, taught at Princeton for years. Uh, so he, black man, grew up through the civil rights. And a colleague or a fellow student asked him um, how, how he was able to be so gracious towards um, white preachers and white churches, or what seemed to be, so gracious. And his replies always stuck with me. He said his father told him from a very early age, people can only see the path in front of them with the light that they've been given. And most people have been given really crummy light. Uh, and that, 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 that has been really formative for me. And so I, I think Sarah, maybe you're, you're thinking of the larger context or the hurt people, hurt people trying to hold a humility that I don't have the full picture. And people do what they can with the light that they've been given. And it doesn't excuse the real trauma of trying to hold that, which then leads me to my second point. Um, that is the courage to say, uh, no, no, I'll be confessional. Uh, the times, the times that I don't muster up the courage to say this is wrong or this isn't right what's happened to you or um, my hunch is if you do a little bit of digging, it's because there was too much cost for me um, in saying the right thing to say. Uh, and uh, you know, my, my progressive liberalism, I'm on the side of the under, like, I still have so much privilege to choose when I want to say something or not. Uh, and identifying that I am culpable in the larger system in way more ways than I ever want to admit around doing the, um, uh, covenant, saying the right words, but there's a hidden agenda to protect me. And what I think is mine. So coming, like, I want to, I want to, not to, um, yeah, not to be too corny, but I, I want to be still with that. Like, I want to hold that because um, there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff there uh, that needs some work for me. Um, oh, microphone, microphone. <clears throat> Microphone, you have to wait. You have to wait, Terry. It almost like feels like I shouldn't talk, to be honest about it, with what I'm fixing to say. Ooh, um, say it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's kind of like I'm just sitting here reflecting a lot because it's like the women were not given any voice whatsoever. And it's like y'all brought it up. They were a piece of property just like the animals and everything else were. And, and you don't get a say, keep your mouth shut. You'll go where I tell you to go. You'll do what I tell you to do and that kind of stuff. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking growing up, that was exactly what, as far as at home, I was not allowed to voice things. And then you go to church and you just sit there on that pew, you female and don't say anything. And that's the way that it is. So I kind of feel like throughout our history, um, that's kind of 
the way it's been mm -hmm. is yep. you just sit there, be quiet. That's, that's all you're good for. And anyway, I have a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. A big problem with that. Yeah. And um, anyway. Mm. Yeah, just sit on those household idols. What's that there? Just sit on those household idols. Mm. Right. Well, that, I mean, not to end on a really depressing note, but it does, it, it highlights for me, we have all this to toxicity and dysfunction and trauma, and the progress hasn't been overwhelming, right, to, to what to what we've experienced, to what our kids have experienced, um, and much of it in the name of God, right? Julie, okay? On that note... <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray. Go ahead, Julie. I'm just thinking that, not to keep going back to this, but in Beth Moore's introduction to this book, she said, I prayed over this book like I do any words I put out there. Like, Lord, this, these are, these words come from the best my heart knew at the time. Mm. And if in the future they don't hold up, you know, in your light, give me the humility to say so mm. and to not stand by them. And you're like, woo, like that'll preach. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. um, you know, for us to be able to be like, this was wrong. This was all maybe I knew at the time. Mm -hmm. But now that I, you know, mm -hmm. can see them in a different light, I can have the humility to mm -hmm. do the right thing and, and speak up. Mm. Let's pray. A gracious, all merciful, all loving, all just God. We uh, place our hope in the hope uh, that you show up in the midst of our dysfunction and toxicity and trauma. And so open our eyes to see the ways in which we may have been complicit Open our ears to hear the voices of those who um, don't have the uh, agency or power or authorization uh, to share their stories. And open up our hearts to the truth uh, that others uh, are not um, pieces of property uh, or um, items to be used for our advantage, but your beloved children. Give us your spirit and the courage uh, to say to those who've been hurt, what happened to you is not right. Uh, and give us uh, the resilience when it feels like the uh, dysfunction is too much or too overwhelming or all-pervasive. Uh, give us people in our lives that bring hope and joy and laughter in the midst of uh, stories, both that we read and stories that we enact um, that are hard to bear. Uh, we pray these things through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, world without end. Amen. Amen.